love thy neighborhood. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. Things like that, I wouldn't have been able to do because I, I wouldn't be able to justify spending time every week just to go hang out with a friend because it wasn't efficient. It wasn't it didn't seem like grown up. It seemed like a waste of time. It's been a long journey of finding things that just make me excited, that make my heart come alive, and then giving myself liberty to, to do it. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Cast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram and help you build better relationships. Today, we are continuing <laughs> our series on the nine desires. Mm. Uh, if you haven't already, please listen to episode 85 with Kurt Thompson to hear some of the foundation that we built around exploring our desire. We're going to finish the series the same way we have started every episode with these two foundational ideas. Number one, God created humans to desire. It's wonderful. And number two, our desires are drawn toward what we find beautiful. So in this episode, we are going to focus on the desire to be at peace, <laughs> uh, for wholeness, to really experience, I, I would say, to experience shalom, that yeah. sense of uh, everything internally is just as it should be and everything yeah. externally is just as it should be and I am experiencing incredible contentment. Right. It might not be as obvious for this specific desire, but this desire for peace is closely tied to the desire for justice and freedom. I'm searching for a way of life where I can quietly live by my convictions, where I'm not controlled or in conflict with others or myself. So if you find this to be one of your driving desires, you may be a type nine, or a member of the gut triad. Yeah, and I think that it's worth saying, like at some level, I don't think that all of us just sort of want conflict all the time. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we are looking for a world in which all is as it should be. Right. And so when we talk about this desire for freedom, we are saying like that somehow in the mystery of, of the world, there's a sense of each person is able to live by their own convictions, yeah. but we're also not at conflict with each other all the time. Right. There's harmony that exists between us. Yes. It's the desire for the outcome of what freedom and justice bring. Yes. Although often the attaining of freedom and justice implies a sense of conflict. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to the desire to be at peace, we actually have three paths that we can take. We're going to take a look at what happens when it's exaggerated, what happens when it's diminished, and what happens when it's healthy. So first, let's take a look at what happens when the desire to be at peace becomes exaggerated. So when somebody is just like, they cannot be disturbed by anything, you know, it's like, master. it's just like, I want to be left alone mm -hmm. and be, you know, in my own Zen-like world. Yes. Well, when this desire is distorted, it fuels the false self. So we take this good desire to be at peace, but we settle for comfort, a lack of conflict. Because, you know, it's much easier to grab a little comfort throughout your day than to truly be at peace. Mm -hmm. So then we fall asleep to our own desires and our own values to keep everyone appeased. We use food, media, or actual sleep to soothe any discomfort that we have within ourselves. And this slumber leads us straight into the vice of sloth or indolence. And that's an avoidance of any meaningful effort, always finding a path of least resistance. Yeah, and that path of least resistance is quite an addictive yeah. you know, thing because you'll see this when folks sort of really prize peace, peace above 
you know, peace at the expense of everything, everything else. else. Yeah. What ends up happening is that uh, they really do. They become allergic to conflict. Mm-hmm. There are key moments in life where where spouses, children, friends, parents need that person to really show up. Yeah. Um, and they are unwilling to do it because it mm-hmm. either feels overwhelming or that because they feel like I, I can't tolerate, you know, all yeah. that's going on in the room. And so um, and so they sort of end up in this space of just vagueness yeah. where it's like this desire for peace becomes sort of a, like an emotional pursuit. Uh, yeah. And it becomes one where the only way to get it is to never be specific, yeah. you know, always just sort of be vague and broad and appeasing and mm-hmm. easygoing. And it's because that person is so committed to maintaining their own sense of internal peace Mm -hmm. that they are unwilling to step into situations that are their responsibility to be, to step into. And I think you say unwilling, and I think that's true. I also think because nines are doing this sleepwalking and they're so self-forgetting, even when they want to wake up, they don't know how. Like they've gotten so far in their journey that they're so asleep that even when they start to realize this isn't serving me, this is not actually getting me, I actually do have some other desires vaguely, you know, but I can't even shake myself awake. And mm-hmm. that's that's part of the journey. Sure. So yeah. like, if we can prevent you from getting there, your journey will be easier. Yeah. And because it, it is true, like all of us know how to be a me the only way we know how to be a me. Yeah. And so for nines, even if you're reaching, you know, nines or any other type, if, if you have a lot of this desire uh, this desire to, to be at peace and it's preeminent. Um, it's tricky. It's just, mm-hmm. it can be really hard to figure out how do I do things different than the way I'm doing things. Yeah. So whenever I'm thinking of this exaggerated, peaceful numbingness, I think of the all the verses that are like, wake up, mm-hmm. you know? And so Ephesians 5 says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So I especially love the like making the most of every opportunity. It's mm-hmm. like, here's how. Mm-hmm. Like, here's how not to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. You know, make the most of every opportunity. But listen, here's the deal. If you are in a place where you find, okay, this this desire is exaggerated, mm-hmm. that comes from somewhere. Absolutely. You know, we need to consider the role of grief and trauma in our story. Most likely, this is a really acute desire in your life because it served you well when you were young. You needed this desire to survive the scenarios that you were living through. Mm -hmm. Those of us who long to be at peace and experience a wholeness or unity in an exaggerated way, we may have experienced themes of feeling unheard, themes of feeling overpowered, uh, we may have received the message that it is not okay to assert yourself. In fact, you shouldn't really even be taking up much room uh, because everybody else is kind of more important. Yeah, you know, their presence is the are the their presence are the ones that really make a difference, mm-hmm. and your presence is sort of an add on, and we'll take it when we can get it. So, at some level, you probably grew up in a scenario where you know I speak up, but Dad says he's going to do something about it, but he never does. Right. Mom, if I tell her, she freaks out and takes over. Um, You know, I've got this sister, this brother that, you know, every time that something goes down, they they react so big that they're taking up all the room. I don't want to add to the problem. So it makes sense why you are the way you are, why this desire is as big as it is. But the deal is this. So the greater the fear that you think you're never going to truly experience peace, you're never really going to feel truly content internally and externally, uh, the more that you're not going to really taste of shalom, Mm -hmm. the more that you're going to be tempted to exaggerate your pursuit of peace. You're going to end up overcompensating for whatever it is that you think you lack. Mm -hmm. So if you're living with the regular fear that you will be overpowered, unheard, invisible, that you don't matter. The question to ask yourself is, what happened in my youth where I felt unheard and overpowered? What happened that made me feel small? And what step can I take today to acknowledge this wound and begin to do the work of letting this wound heal? Because what goes unhealed goes septic. What we refuse to acknowledge, we also refuse to let God heal. 
And, you know, we've we've said these things in each episode of this series. And I just want to acknowledge that, yeah, making that first small step is actually a really big step. Mm-hmm. So it might feel like I'm still numbing out all the time. I'm still really pursuing peace. But even being able to look at yourself and see in real time that you're doing it is a huge step for each of us with this thing that we're white knuckle holding on to. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what it looks like when this thing goes out of control. And and, and again, we want to say the pursuit of peace is a is a very good thing. Yes. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, okay? He's about peace. Um, so don't hear us say that, oh, you we shouldn't care about peace and we should only be cool with conflict all yeah. the time. That is not what we're saying. What we're talking about is the danger of what happens when that desire for peace just takes over everything. Yes. That you make everything in your life bow to that particular desire. Mm-hmm. That is a problem and it has consequences. And I'm sure if you look around your life, that there are people who have tried to communicate that that has had consequences. Yeah. Um, so that's what it looks like when it's exaggerated. Let's talk about what it looks like when it is diminished. So what happens when it is offline? Do not right. care. I'll bring all the conflict and all the drama into the room. There's no <laughs> equanimity. I could care less. What's going on here? Well, when any desire becomes exaggerated, it demands that all the other desires either serve it or be slain by it. So that's when we see are these other desires go offline. They're diminished because there's something else that's really big and taking all the oxygen in the room. Mm-hmm. So you'll see this occasionally with folks like where there's just there there's not a lot of this desire in their life. Right. Um, sort of everywhere they go, they just bring sort of intensity and drama and mm-hmm. reactivity. And they don't particularly, they're not very um, thoughtful with their words. They mm-hmm. don't particularly care if those words push people away. Are you talking about Twitter? I'm not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Not a lot of nine energy uh, is, no. is valued on Twitter. Um, you know, if, if that is going on with you, you do have to ask yourself, why do I not care about these things? Yeah. Why, why does the pursuit of peace, why is it not valuable to me? Why am I not even wanting to sit down and experience sort of an internal tranquil right. contentment. And the truth is that it's probably because some other stuff is going on. Yeah. Like there's, you know, there's some sense in which you think if you pursue peace that it's either, um, well, then I can't fight for what I need to fight for. Yeah. Well, then if, if I behave that way, then... People just walk all over you. Yeah. You people, won't be safe. Yeah, 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 exactly. People will walk all over you. So if you find in yourself that you just don't really want much peace, you're not pursuing it, you don't really care about accepting other people as they are, ask yourself, what competing desire do you have that feels threatened by this one? Right. And I would even say the dangers of having diminished desire for peace are just as great, if not greater, than the exaggerated desire for peace. And Mm -hmm. I think we are seeing that in our culture right now, Mm -hmm. that we don't have a lot of loud voices saying, let's think about all sides. Mm -hmm. Let's calmly listen to one Mm -hmm. another and think about the valid points that the other person is expressing, Mm -hmm. even though I disagree with them wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not seeing, and I think it is going on behind the scenes, but we're not seeing on this, you know, global scale this desire for peace and unity. And I think that's a call to nines as don't go hide because it's exaggerated and now you feel shame. Like, no, we need you. Like, mm-hmm. now is your time to shine. We need some diplomacy. Yeah. You know, and this and this desire for peace um, in, in, in part is a, is a commitment to diplomacy. It's mm-hmm. I'm not going to vilify everybody that disagrees with me. Right. I'm going to look for some common ground. I'm also going to have, you know, the courage to say yes. I have convictions and we don't agree on X, Y, Z. And mm-hmm. sometimes that does mean we need to go you know, battle against some things. But in the same way that if we're always choosing peace, that's a problem. If we're always choosing drama and conflict, also a very significant problem. Yeah. So, yeah, so ask yourself, what's the desire that feels threatened? Yeah. So finally, let's talk about what the desire to be at peace looks like when it's healthy. Yeah, let's actually give some folks let's some good news here. Let's give some encouragement. <laughs> so Jesus tells us that our chief desire, the desire to lead all others, should be to love God and love other people as we love ourselves. Yeah. So it is truly uh, for us to let go 
of a lesser desire, or for us to put a lesser desire in its place, yeah. we have to fall in love with a greater desire. Yeah. And so this greater desire ends up permeating us in a way that we then begin to live out of our true selves, our true selves hidden in Christ with God. Mm-hmm. When this is at work, we find that the desire for peace goes back into its appropriate place. Right. So it actually ends up revealing something that could be surprising for a lot of folks that have a lot of this desire, which is they matter. Yeah. Their presence matters. They begin to recognize that their agency, that their convictions, their involvement, they have the ability to steer outcomes. They have the ability to influence lives. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been created with purpose. They've been created with value. You will be able to receive comfort from God. So it's not just comfort in the form of path of least resistance, but it becomes a peace that passes all understanding. It becomes something that is supernatural. And then you're able to go out and you're able to use your gifts of seeing all sides, of being diplomatic, of being a great mediator to engage people uh, in a world of conflict. How can we bring opposing people together into conversations where uh, hopefully it leads to healthy outcomes. Right. And whenever we have this reliance on Christ for our true comfort, for a deep assurance in who we are and that we matter, we're able to move from sloth to exertion, engaging life wholeheartedly. And once you're living in that wholehearted place, you're able to consistently do the next right thing and take prioritized steps of action. And and that's a real key because when we have a good desire for peace and it's in its appropriate place, we move from this thing where when it's exaggerated, we live sort of live in vagueness because we yeah. just want the emotional experience of peace. Mm-hmm. And we actually go to, well, I want the emotional experience of peace, but I also want actual peace in the real world, which means I got to step into some things and we move out of vagueness and into literally making lists, doing lists. We prioritize things. We focus on the things that matter. You would try to not get distracted by the things that are inconsequential as much. And so we do, we move into a place of increasing clarity and out of a place of just sort of perpetual fog. Okay, so those are our notes on the desire to live at peace, but we want to hear from somebody who identifies this desire as a driving force in their personality. So today, we have Andy Gullihorn with us. Andy Gullihorn is a singer-songwriter who has a unique ability to level the playing field between performer and audience by mixing vulnerable personal stories with his self-deprecating humor. He writes songs to let people know they aren't alone or at least let them feel better about their lives by sheer comparison. He spends his time playing concerts and house shows across the country, writing for other artists, and providing his three kids with plenty of stories to tell their counselors in 20 years. And he's a nine on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks for having me. I want to note, I did not write that bio. <laughs> yeah. like, could you imagine if I was just if we like, said that. I was just like, oh yeah, let's let's just uh, really yeah, write yes. this guy right out Get of the gate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are really excited to talk with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even before we started recording, Lindsay was talking to you about how much she loves your music. I was talking to you about uh, your incredible story in the Atlantic about your high five adventures with your friend. For our listeners, if you haven't read that yet, Uh, go find that article. It's Mm -hmm. awesome. Andy, let's maybe just start here then. In Enneagram theory, the core desire for the type nine is to be at peace or to have wholeness. So not in conflict with themselves, not in conflict with others. Does that resonate with you? And do you have an early memory that reflects that desire? Yes, it definitely resonates with me. Thinking about early memory, I mean, I was a middle child, so it's kind of hard for me to separate some of that feeling of being the peacemaker and the mediator in my family with brothers who who were often fighting. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was always the one in the middle. So it was, it was, you know, I don't know how that stuff works out between birth order and Enneagram and how all that happens. But it was always important to me to kind of be the peacemaker. And, and actually, the story that comes to mind, and I don't know if this is helpful or not, but through 
therapy one time, this story kind of came up uh, from when I was like three years old. I mean, not but third grade. I was in third grade at this Catholic school I went to from kindergarten through eighth grade. And I had this weird memory of being called out of the classroom in third grade to go to the lunchroom and play piano for the sixth, seventh, and eighth graders because they were being loud and rowdy. And <laughs> and my job was to do that so that they would calm down. Wow. And you know that's not something that I necessarily chose. It's a weird memory that, that kind of came up. But it, when I think about it in the lens of the Enneagram, I kind of see it as that was just always my desire, whether I knew it or not, was to, yeah, make the outer world at peace and my inner world at peace. That's it's always been true about me. Mm. It's interesting, too, in that particular story, right? Because it's one thing for you to have that intrinsic desire. Mm-hmm. And there's also a sense in which many of us end up cultivating the desires that are sort of thrust on us. Yeah. You know, and this uh, also... That's super weird, man. Like this idea that <laughs> like you're just like, hey, go get that third grader so he can, you know, Call calm these people down. Right? I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff about it. I mean, when it came up, it was actually through in an EMDR session. It was it was really bizarre because I hadn't thought about it. And I was like, well, that's, you know, as a kid, that feels um, honoring. It's like, oh, yeah, don't want to listen to this little kid play piano. And then looking back, it was like, oh. It is honoring. It's a both and thing. It is right. honoring. And as a third grader, it just reinforces the message that that my job on this earth is to be in charge of bringing peace to certain situations. And there are things that I think are great about that and things that I think I'm wired for. And also things I've been trying to unlearn about that, you know, mm-hmm. my whole life of knowing what boundaries are and what my what is my job and what isn't my job to do. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Well, when we talk about desire, we see that some people are really great at knowing exactly what they want and how they're going to go about getting it. And other people, it's a lot harder for them to identify those desires. How comfortable are you at acknowledging and naming your desires and then pursuing them? I like to think that I'm better at it now uh, than maybe I was in the past, Mm -hmm. but it has been uh, an intentional journey uh, to get there. I would say my default is to not really know what my desires are at all. Mm -hmm. And maybe the way that it would show up is I'd be like, oh, I don't care what we do. You know, I really don't have a desire one way or the other about anything. And then I would have to find them going backwards, I had to see what I was resentful about at the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the year that I was like, well, I didn't get to do that. And then realizing, yeah. oh, I, I could have done that, but I didn't. So I have to learn kind of backwards sometimes what, what was important to me, what I wanted to do, what I felt like I was missing out on, or maybe I chose to do something. And then I was, I was kind of like, why, why did I do that? I didn't, that's not really what I wanted to do. And I, I believe there are people in the world who don't, who aren't like that, who can kind of see it ahead of time and, and chase after it, like what you said. And for mm-hmm. me, it's been more of a observing in hindsight and then learning those lessons and then kind of being like, you know what? I have to learn what it's like for my heart to kind of come alive at the idea of something and then to mm-hmm. trust that. Yeah. So it's one thing to know what the desire is and another thing to trust it and, and to go after it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned this, but like you said that it's been a journey, you know, um, how different does that look today compared to, you know, when you were in your mid twenties? Well, it looks really different, honestly. And this is a story that, uh, I've told a few times, but in my mid twenties, I went to go see this spiritual director who he knew I was going through a hard time and, so I went and I, and I thought this was going to be a time when I was going to become like a spiritual grown up <laughs> and he was going to take me under his wing and make me this, a spiritual grown up. And I guess in my mind, what a spiritual grown up was, was somebody that got up early in the morning, prayed a lot, had like quiet time, who read the mm-hmm. Bible, um, and was a very disciplined person. And, uh, so I went to meet with him and I kind of told him that I think I'm ready to grow up and be that kind of a person. And he asked me if I liked getting up early in the morning. 
And I said, no. He asked me if I like reading. And I was like, no. I mean, I, I, sometimes I like it, but it puts me to sleep. Especially reading the Bible puts me to sleep. <laughs> and um, then he told me that the most important spiritual discipline he did every day was that he walked his dog on the golf course because he really loved walking his dog on the golf course. He said, I think you just need to find and connect with what you love. Don't worry about being a spiritual grown-up, but find something that really makes your heart come alive and then trust that God is going to meet you there. Mm. Um, and I remember as a 25-year-old thinking that was just a cop-out. Like I was like, that, how can that be good advice for me? Like what if it's not hard enough, yeah. What if what makes my heart come alive is playing blackjack, you know, at a mm. casino? Which now I'm like, well, God would meet me there too. But um the truth was he was freeing me up to uh be present where I where my heart actually was, not where I wanted it to be. And kind of through that, it kind of is one of those kind of lessons that it's taken, you know, that was twenty-two years ago, maybe. And you know, you mentioned earlier before when we first started talking about uh, a high five story, things like that, I wouldn't have been able to do because I, I wouldn't be able to justify spending time every week just to go hang out with a friend um, because it wasn't efficient. It wasn't it didn't seem like grown up. It seemed like a waste of time. But so now I think I've it's been a long journey of finding things that just make me excited, that make my heart come alive and then giving myself liberty to, to do it. And it really kind of all started back when, when he told me that in my mid twenties. It's such good advice, you know, because we do, we, so often we think of, you know, sort of spiritual maturity in very rigid terms. It's very prescriptive. Like it looks just like this, you know, and it it has such like a low bar of trust for God, Mm. you know, to be at work in, in other ways, you know, and this idea of, yeah, your heart comes alive in certain contexts and your body feels energized and so like, and that there are moments in which like that is evidence of the Lord at work and to love those things and to love the life the Lord's given you is also spiritually mature. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, stay with us because when we come back, we will continue our conversation with Andy Gullahorn. We'll be right back. Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So. Go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. Welcome back to the Anycast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. So we've been talking with singer-songwriter Andy Gullihorn. Andy, let's continue our conversation about just the role of peace, the role that that has played in your life and the role of desires. Do you find it difficult to tell the difference between being at true peace and being comfortable? Does the feeling that you're comfortable or even at times maybe even numb, does that often sort of convince you like, oh, I'm I'm at peace right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it's definitely hard to tell the difference. Uh, I remember hearing maybe Suzanne Stabile told me that it was like, we desire peace and we'll settle, settle for sleep mm-hmm. or just feeling numb. Yeah, sometimes I think in the moment, it can be really hard to tell the difference between the two. Um, mm-hmm. Following it, there's a, a kind of lasting fulfillment when there's actually peace and it's not just anesthetizing. That's also part of you know my lifelong journey is discerning where I am falling asleep to something or just 
checking out, dissociating, so I don't have to acknowledge the conflict that's around me. And I'm still on that journey. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that the tension between there's all this conflict in the room or this conflict in the world, and I want to be a healing agent. And I could see where that would also, it would become confusing where the choice of the sort of the path of least resistance, like that Mm. feels like at times maybe like, well, I'm going that direction to sort of bring the tension down. And then as you know, you talked about this before the break, like, you know, waking up later and realizing like, oh, I'm actually really resentful about some of the decisions that, that I didn't make, you know, because of that path of least resistance temptation. Does, does that feel accurate? Yeah, yeah, it does. And, you know, I'll, I'll find there are also some situations, I don't know if it's, it, it's like getting into wing stuff. I'm, I'm not, uh, I had two ones for parents, so I, I definitely lean mm-hmm. in that direction on a wing side in the Enneagram. But I feel like my eight wing will come out. There, there are times where I'm not, a, where I feel awake to the conflict and I'm not afraid to step into it. But I would say I, I would do it, maybe all nines do it this way. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not afraid to step into conflict when I feel like doing that is the best way to bring about peace or maybe the, the fastest way to end the conflict. Like, yeah, that's always the goal underneath it is to have that, the calm waters. Yeah. So we talked about, I mean, for all nines, I think the temptation is that falling asleep, either literally, like literally going to bed. Right. Or that, you know, sleepwalking through their entire life. So, you know, you're a little further down the journey. So what words of advice would you offer to other type nines who are trying to figure out how to wake up? What does it look like to be awake, you know, for a nine? That's a great question. I don't know that I have a super defined answer other than to say, I don't think it's possible to do that alone. Mm. Uh, If I'm trying to learn that and see where I'm doing that, I just can't see it myself. So I have to be in community, consistent community with people who can help me see it. I think that's the most important thing for me. Yeah. Enneagram work or any kind of work like that is really important. I just think it's it's only so helpful on your own. So for to see through other people, you know, to have a wife who loves me who's familiar with, you know, and trained in Enneagram stuff where we can kind of talk about, you know, she'll notice things about ways that I'm kind of uh, checking out in situations or or if I'm mowing the yard when I should be doing my taxes and or if I'm doing a lot of <laughs> unproductive doing, she's like, Hey, are you okay? Or is there something that's stressing you out or that you're trying to avoid or, but, but she's not like, Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. She's like, Hey, yeah, that's like a dashboard light uh, to what's going on in your heart. You know, are you connected with it? And, and to have people in my life that help me connect like what I'm doing actively with what might be going on under the surface is, has been the, the most helpful thing on the journey. Mm, I really like that. So obviously, like we live in this culture and the society in America that's really polarized right now. And so these, you know, very social issues come up, topics come up and people just like run into their camps, their ditches. Um, You know, you live in Nashville, a city that is beginning the long journey of recovering from this horrific shooting at, you know, the Covenant School a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you guys just had um, some politicians that were thrown out of chamber, you know, for their stance on, you know, issues related to gun control. You know, I'm just looking at this whole thing and I'm thinking like, Andy, you're a guy that is on stage, like you're in front of everybody. In so many nines, there's this great desire to bring unity and to bring peace. How have you been, how do you navigate all of that social complexity as somebody who's on stage, as a creator, you know, and just as a, as a person, how are you navigating these last several years? Yeah, I would say the last, boy, six, seven years have been really hard as a nine. There, there are a couple of things that rub against each other. One is, you know, there were a lot of artists who were like, oh, this is my platform. I'm going to use it. I'm going to say what I want to say and fight for what I want to fight for. I'm not necessarily that kind of an artist. Some of that you could tie it to the nine thing. It's like, you know, you could get to the, well, the shadow side of uh, not believing that my presence matters. 
right? As a nine, mm-hmm. that extends to everything. Like, I don't know that my voice matters. I mean, I, I, I do in a sense, like I, I feel, you know, I know that what I, what I do matters uh, in the world, but a, kind of a healthy side of that, I don't think shadow is like all bad or that, that lost childhood messages. Something that comes out of that is that um, I don't think that my voice matters more than somebody else's voice. So mm-hmm. that kind of makes me on a, in a public platform be like, oh, well, what right do I have to like force my opinions on somebody else? It's not any more important than somebody else's. So uh, that's kind of a rub against this other part that is like desperately wanting people to get along or even more than get along for them to understand where somebody else is coming from mm-hmm. and to recognize and see the humanity in it. Yeah. And, you know, I'll say a, a practical way that that works is, you know, I've been following the stuff that's been happening here in Nashville and I'm grateful for the marches and, and protests that have been happening, just people getting involved. And um, one of the ways that I have handled the last couple of elections, which, which are just so hard for me because there are people that I love on both sides of the aisle and when there's language that's kind of demonizing the other side, I'm kind of like, you know, I get it, but that's like a human on the other side. Mm-hmm. And that happens too with the, the shooters, you, you know, people who, yeah. um, I'm, I'm kind of like, yes, they've done a horrible thing. And if I can't see the humanity in the person who enacted this violence on my community, then it's, I'm going to have a hard time moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. So what I've done the last a couple of elections, I, I just told my wife, Jill, I was like, hey, I'm just going to sign up to be um, a poll worker. So I'm going to be there helping people vote uh, because it was important for me to see my neighbors walking through the door and to see the people who were voting the way that I was going to vote and people who were voting the other way and to remember that they were humans. Mm. To me, it was, it was a way to stay connected to seeing the humanity of everybody who's coming in and in a way to kind of serve in that way. But that's all born out of this, this feeling of like, I don't feel like I can have inner peace in the political landscape without doing the hard work of trying to, you know, see the humanity in both sides. That being said, there are things that I, I feel really strongly about and will advocate for and fight for in my community. Uh, I don't feel called to be like a, a huge, I don't really want to step out on Twitter. Whenever I go into those those worlds, just kind of the, the language that happens in those worlds yeah. is just, uh, I start to think that's what the world is like. Mm-hmm. And it's not, which is why I was a poll worker. I was like, I don't, these are actual people who have actual conversations with each other. So I have to, you know, find the right area to do that kind of work. And that's kind of what I shoot for. Yeah. I encourage any, I thought it was a volunteer position, by the way, to, to be a poll worker. It's not, it pays a ton of money. It, you, you work from like oh. s- six in the morning <laughs> until nine at night and you get paid like $80 or something like that. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but I highly recommend it. It is, I mean, as somebody who just loves the community that I'm in, not just because it is this particular community, but I just, I think that's, when I think about the world and all the things I want to change and all the ways I want to bring peace to the world, uh, we, we talked about this before, but when I think about that, it paralyzes me. And I want to write a song that will change the world or help everybody get along. And that just paralyzes me. And there's a whole year where I try to do that and I couldn't write any songs. And the way that I kind of got out of that paralysis was to just really uh, narrow my focus and just be like, you know what? I can't change the world. I can't make this world a peaceful place. But maybe I can be a little bit, I can love my neighbor, you know, I can be a little bit nicer to the neighbors around me and I can learn their stories. I can be involved in my kid's school. I can, you know, go to the church, which is half a mile away and just kind of get small in that way. Not that I have control over that even. Mm -hmm. So anybody who has that kind of desire, I recommend um, if, if you are also in turmoil about political world, helping as a polling official has been like, such a great blessing to me. Mm, so good. Well, one thing that we're exploring this series is this idea that desire 
always moves towards beauty. And you've already exemplified that in a lot of ways. But how do you see your desires pulling you toward beauty? You know, what is kind of that ultimate beautiful image to you? The word that comes to mind is connection. That's what it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. It just, it feels like the desire is pulling me close. Maybe the desire is actually for connection. But when that happens, yeah, the beauty is just that feeling of being connected to me. Um, mm-hmm. And knowing, for example, on Easter, we used to have uh, all our neighbors over for a big Easter egg hunt for, with all the little kids. And uh, now our kids are grown. We have one still in high school and, and we were playing a show Saturday night. So it was a busy weekend and we got home from church on Easter Sunday. And my wife was like, do you miss having the, you know, big Easter potluck? And I was like, I really do kind of, but the last minute I was like, you know what, I'm just going to send a text to a couple of neighbors and say, Hey, you want to come over at five o'clock to this Creek in our backyard? And we used to have this, we get rubber duckies and have duck races down the Creek at the end of the <laughs> egg hunt. And I was like, hey, let's just have a duck race at 5 p.m. Anybody wants to come over? And so 20 people came over, and there's some little kids there. And and it was just like a complete waste of time, just totally stupid. I way overdid it. I had like four heats <laughs> of duck races, and then we had a championship <laughs> marathon race from far down in the creek. And um, like the high five, it is just there's no real good reason to do it other than just enjoying it. And that feeling of being connected with the neighbors and to see the kids happy um, and just to be like, hey, we just did something for the fun of it. Um, to me, that's beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I, uh, I'd i be happy doing that the rest of my life. Not mm-hmm. particularly yeah. duck races, although it'd be, uh, maybe I'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. So what I hear in that story is a really full circle moment from what you shared at the beginning with the spiritual director, mm-hmm. you know, telling you, you know, do you like getting up early? No. What do you like to do? Well, you like doing high fives and you like duck races. And I think in the Behold the Lamb, you talked about um, the Christmas tree bonfire thing, like mm-hmm. that you like hunt down everybody's old Christmas trees and burn them like mm-hmm. for a big shindig. And it sounds to me like you are finding those golf course moments of this is just for joy and being able to say actually that's so beautiful like it glorifies god it's he's he's there with you because it's such a fulfilling moment for you yeah and it could be argued that i do too much of that stuff now maybe i've taken that too liberally (laughs) and i should be doing more work but the truth is i i don't um i mean i'm sure i could be more efficient at work but it hasn't hurt me. Like it, like mm-hmm. all those kinds of things have just been so generative, both for songs and for community. And and, it, and they, all those things that seem like a waste of time, they they weave themselves into like what it is that I actually do for a living, and it just makes mm-hmm. it better, even though that wasn't the intention. Yeah, that's good. So Jesus tells us that our chief desire should be relational, loving God and loving other people as we love ourselves. How does this reshape the desire to be at peace? What influence does that chief desire of loving God and loving other people as we love ourselves, how does that influence the desire for peace? In my mind, and I've kind of tied these things together in in ways I wasn't necessarily intending, but in the conversation about peace, I think I've mentioned a couple of times that a component of that is in addition to seeing both sides of the equation to see the humanity in my friend and my neighbor and in my enemy or my quote enemy. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, I kind of think like for me, that's what brings me peace. Like when I, when I can feel, because if, if I can see the humanity in somebody that I disagree with and I feel connected with them, and then I can try to understand their story, even if I disagree with it. Um, yeah. But to me, that fits in. I'm sure it's not perfect, but it, that that fits in with the my call to love my neighbor and to love God. I, I think I love God by loving my neighbor that way, by 
loving the God that is inside the girl who shot the, the people at covenant school. Um, yeah. And that's hard to do sometimes, but it's kind of the way my heart is bent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in every, almost every story that you've told has been about relationships and community, maybe more so than all the other nines we've ever interviewed of, I think you're, you've already displayed how the thing that brings you that most peace is the connected community and seeing people as image bearers, despite if they're people you like or not. So I think that's really beautiful. Thank you. Well, um, we're going to do our very best now to help our nine friend here wake up to life as much as possible. <laughs> oh, great. And we're going to do, do that. We're going to do that through a game called Trial by Trolley. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There, you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story, plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for Trial by Trolley. Okay, our game today is called Trial by Trolley. Here's how it works. Andy, you are in a runaway trolley car and you can't stop it, but you can choose which track it will go down, either my track or Lindsay's track. But it is a moral dilemma because sitting on each of our tracks will be one nice thing and one not so nice thing that you will have to run over depending on which track you choose. And you can only choose one track. And before you choose, Lindsay and I will each get to add an extra complication to our track, making the decision even harder. So we're going to present you with the two things on our track, add the complication, and then you have to choose which one you want to send the trolley down and destroy. Whichever track you choose, that person gets a point. But the goal is to have as few points as possible. So we're trying to get you not to choose our track. We will play three rounds, and whoever <laughs> has the least points at the end wins. Are you both ready to play this ridiculous game? <laughs> this sounds like you invite a nine on your podcast. And you're like, hey, let's play this game where you have to make decisions. This is the worst thing in the yes. entire world. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> real, the real fun one was back when uh, Russell Moore was the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. <laughs> and we, and we played play. this with him. We put him in a series of moral dilemmas. I'll just, I'll take whatever Russell said. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll take one of what he's said. Uh, okay. Lindsay, you can go first. All right. Round one. On my track is your dad. And he is saying, son, I'm so proud of you. But also on my track is... What, do you, what is this whole, I'm so proud of you? What do you that, do? Look. Oh, it does say that. It does say oh, it on crap. the card. I thought you were making things nope. up again. <laughs> and also on my track is a mean poop-throwing monkey. Okay. Okay. So the dad and the poop-throwing monkey. Okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. Jesse, go ahead. Okay. So on my track is a bunch of nuns having fun together. <laughs> so they're just frolicking, enjoying themselves. Uh, but there's also a horrifying reverse mermaid. Ooh. So the top half is a fish, the bottom half is a human. Uh, so reverse mermaid. And Lindsay, go ahead and throw your complication okay, in. Okay, so the complication on mine is that even if you do choose my track and you try to kill the mean poop-throwing monkey, he's actually just one 
of 329 identical clones. Holy smokes. Of himself. So you would only be making a very small dent in the problem. Wow. Okay, or mine, a bunch of nuns having fun and a horrifying reverse mermaid, but the nuns are also walking your dog. (laughs) So your dog would go as well. So which track are you going to run over? And and, and like running over, I I like kill all these people. They're all dead. they're dead. They're gone. Okay, so here's what I think. Um, I don't have a dog. I don't have anything against dogs, but I don't have a dog. Um, I went to Catholic school. Most of my life. (laughs) Um, But I don't have, you know, baggage around nuns. I I, I appreciate my Catholic school, my Catholic background. That's good. We have a big nun audience. So, the um, as a side note, uh, I was at a cafeteria with my mom one time when I was a kid and I asked her what a nun was. And she's like, oh, she gave me this long theological answer. And And I was like, well, why is that? section over there just for nuns to smoke it said i thought i said <laughs> nun smoking <laughs> okay so the reverse mermaid i mean seems like totally non-threatening to me uh i mean what's the reverse mermaid gonna do but also i don't mind poop throwing monkeys uh so i'm gonna have to say i love my dad i'm not gonna run over my i mean i love nuns too but but he's my dad, so I'm not going to run over my dad. Bye, Jesse. Yeah, that felt inevitable. The moment the moment <laughs> yeah. you said dad, I was like, well, this, I'm, I can put mind. anybody. Actually, if he anybody. was saying anything other than I'm proud of you, I would have run him over. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right, well, I'm going to go first this time. And, uh, Lindsay, I'm going to go ahead and just do my complication uh, oh, okay. all at once. Here we go. On my track, this is glorious. It is a tree full of cookie baking elves. Oh, wow. So all the cookies you've ever wanted. Yeah. There they are. But there's a complication. I mean, there's a a downside, which is that also on my track is a deadly bear with a human brain. Oh. Yeah. In the image, he actually has a knife and he's stabbing someone. So that's Mm. that's a little disconcerting. Uh, And also upsetting is that uh, the bear likes pineapple on his pizza. So. <laughs> he's extra terrible. Yeah, he's extra terrible. That's the extra complication? Yeah, <laughs> that, that was the extra complication. Okay. Okay. On my track is a little girl who is bringing treats to her grandmother. And she is saying, I wonder who I'll meet on the tracks today. Well, how come your character is the only ones who have phrases know, that they say? Makes bad I know. Choices. Mine, none of mine are talking. <laughs> mine are all silent actors over here. Mm. Now we see the problem. My, I also have a tiger who has a taste for human flesh. Okay. But the complication is the tiger is also madly in love with you. So. Well, that's weird. Maybe he wouldn't <laughs> eat you. <laughs> that's a weird one. Or maybe he will, especially. Especially. Yeah, I don't know. Um, All right, so which uh, which track are you running down? Or children. Okay, for oh a, a number of reasons. I've got nothing against uh, pineapple on pizza. That's fine. I know the bear has a human brain. Maybe I could rationalize with the bear. Oh, yeah. And I think the little girl's grandmother probably should not be having treats at this time <laughs> of the day. So I think the, the granddaughter is probably trying to do something a little shady. Mean and shady. <laughs> so I would say, let's take out the little girl. Oh my God. I am so happy. I did not see that coming. I did and not I'm see glad that for it. I, can't, I couldn't even remember what the first part, the, the, the first part of the track with the bear with the human brain. Who, who else was I not running over? Cookies. You you saved oh, yeah, all the, the elves. Cookies. Oh, the I elves love elves. Yeah. I, I really, yeah. I just wanted to hear what the third round was. I, I knew that if I. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to extend the game. Oh, yeah. That was good. So that was good. I appreciate that. I like that all sides thing. That was good. Yeah, I uh, don't appreciate it. Right, right. Okay, Lindsay, go. Okay, on my track is a billionaire about to donate his entire fortune to the charity of your choice. Okay. There is also a kraken, which I didn't know what that was, but it looks like an angry octopus, attacking a seaside village. But... 
the um, complication is, I don't know which one this applies to. I guess it's the Kraken only speaks in emojis. Can a billionaire only speak in emojis? That'd be awesome. Maybe. They okay. both only speak in emojis. Yeah. Okay. On my track is a happy three-legged dog. He doesn't care about dogs. He might. I do care about dogs. I still have one. He doesn't own a dog. <laughs> he's, he's not heartless. Uh, and he's a happy three-legged. You ever seen a yes, good three-legged? Yes. Okay, keep Adorable. Going. Also, though, there is a shark with wings. So that Ooh. that makes things a little strange. And the other problem is that the shark will will not stop playing the didgeridoo. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so on mine, a happy three-legged dog, a shark with wings, and the shark will not stop playing the didgeridoo. Just think about how many dogs he could save with the billionaire who was going to donate their entire fortune. Mm-hmm. But the shark, you got saying that the shark is now like breathing air and can live above water. I mean, he has wings, but he probably still has to like fly down into the water. I guess it'd be hard to play didgeridoo underwater. Yeah, yeah, it might be complicated. But uh, it sounds he, like he's evolved to be able to fly and thus breathe while flying. That yeah, would make more yeah. sense. He, he, he probably defies the laws of reality <laughs> in general. So yeah. yeah, now this is all making sense. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Um, I would just to be um, a little on the heartless side. Oh no. I mean, I, I'm gonna have to run over the billionaire. Uh, oh my god! Because gosh. there's a there's an imminent threat to the whole sea village uh, with the uh, emoji <laughs> speaking kraken, and you know the shark. It he might not hurt anybody, mm-hmm. <laughs> except with his bad music. That might um, be it. That's true. I just love how nines how their brains work. Yep, it's... yep. Uh, so Lindsay, anything you want to say to me? You suck. Oh, wait. No, that, was, that, wasn't right. was a, that wasn't how that was supposed to go at all. Good game, hey, Jesse. thanks, 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 thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> all right. And now it's time for 11 quick questions. So, uh, Andy, we're going to ask you 11 questions. You can answer with one word, one phrase, or one sentence. Okay, number one, where is a place you feel relaxed? Laity Lodge in Central Texas. Mm, Love it. Uh, What is a food that you hate? Olives. What stirs up joy? Community. What stirs up sadness? Loss. What is the last book you read and enjoyed? Ooh, I forgot the name of it now. Bono's uh, autobiography. What is the last book you read and did not enjoy? Well, that's hard because if I don't enjoy it, I just stop reading it. Okay, so what's a book you started and you're like, eh, not my thing, and you moved on? I will s- not say the name of a, of a book, but there's a book that I read with my oldest son when he was... 12 about how to bring up it's not dobson you know raising christian boys or whatever it is but it's similar to that and it was a bunch of baloney that's all i'll say if you can own an unusual pet what would it be owl what is your coffee shop order i am not a coffee drinker so it would be a chai latte my man. He has so much in common with Drew. It's amazing. My husband is named Drew, and he's a nine, and you guys have a lot in common. He's probably pretty cool. He's amazing. <laughs> uh, what is one personal vice that you would like to get rid of? Checking my phone. Mm. Uh, what is the one thing you would convince the world of if you could? There's so many ways to go. Uh, that's not my answer. Uh <laughs> That, that will probably be my legacy. There's so many ways to go. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stray away from all the serious talk we've already had and just say that badminton is the most fun sport to play. Mm. <laughs> That's good. And what is one current desire that you have? For my kids to grow into adults that know how to have fun. Mm. Mm. It's beautiful. 
Well, Andy, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us and for just letting us into your inner world, into your life, and into just your your journey. And uh, I know it's going to be a gift to all of our listeners. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. If you've benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Andy Gullahorn. Listen, you can learn more about Andy by heading over to his website, andygullahorn.com. Or if you want to support his music on Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash andygullahorn. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry, who helped train us in the Enneagram and also on Desire. You can check them out at crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer summer and year-long missions internships for young adults ages 18 to 30. Bring social change with the gospel by working with an innovative nonprofit and serving your urban neighbors. Experience community like never before as you live and do ministry with other Christian young adults. Grow in your faith by walking in the life and lifestyle of Jesus and being a part of a vibrant, healthy church. Apply now at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was written by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Anna Tran is our media director and producer. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere and Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.